grateful we are that You have brought us to this place safely. And that we have this opportunity, Father, to to be in Your presence, to study Your Word, and, and to be reminded of the greatness of Your love and mercy and compassion on our lives. We are completely overwhelmed in our thinking and in our emotional life, Father, when we when we survey the cross as that ancient hymn reminds us to do, Father, and we think about the greatness of the sacrifice that was made to bridge our lives back to You. And we endeavor, Father, in this moment to study and, and to know this Word in such a way, Father, that it turns us towards You. And so we ask that You give us eyes that see and ears that hear. For more than anything else, Father, we want to bring glory to You through our faith in this life, Father. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus and all the church said. We are studying... The book of Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, the theme this this year, as we introduced last week, is faithfulness. And one of the ways that the Bible teaches us that we live a life of power, that we live a life that is above mediocrity, is to have a profound, a significant, a growing faith in God. And when we get to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, what we find is, is, you know, many people refer to it as as a hall of faith, and that is what it is. But the closer we drill down into this, what we begin to see is that these are case studies as to what it means to live a life of faith, to live that life that is pleasing to God, to live that life that brings a smile to God's faith. And so this morning we're going to look at Enoch. I have never preached on Enoch in my life. He has intrigued me. I've wanted to talk about him for a lot of years. And with this theme, it seemed like the the, the opportune time to talk about Enoch. Now, Enoch is really, really interesting. And very curious in this text because he's different. All of these case studies, as you read the list of all of these these case studies, all of these individuals of great faith, it all begins by faith. And there's an active verb that is associated with it. By faith, this one offered. By faith, this one built. By faith, this one obeyed. By faith, this one saw. Enoch is different because Enoch starts out with a passive verb. By faith, Enoch was taken. He's just taken. Now, we're not told what he did. We're not told what it was that caused him to be taken by God. He was just that he was taken. And this is what makes Enoch so curious to me. Enoch is really not mentioned all that many times in the Bible, just these couple of verses here in Hebrews chapter 11. Then you go over to Genesis chapter 5 and you find about four verses in the Old Testament. There's not a whole lot about Enoch in the Bible. But what we do find in Genesis 5, beginning in verse 21, is this. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of whom? Became the father of whom? Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch did what? He walked. But how did he walk? He walked faithfully with God 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. He walked with God 300 years. Verse 23, altogether Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Verse 24, again it says, Enoch walked faithfully with God 
Then he was no more because God took him away. What is it that makes Enoch special? It's that he walked with God. That's what made him special. Now the question though is, what is so special about walking? I mean, I do it every day. What is so special about walking with God? Well, ironically, the first time that the word walk or walking shows up in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. And it, it's a word that describes what it is in action that God is doing on the earth. God, in Genesis 3, is walking in the Garden of Eden that He has created in the cool of the day. The Hebrew says the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the lo ruach hayom, in the breeze of the day, which means probably the evening in the ancient world. And so here is God walking in the garden with human beings. It's, it's utterly amazing to me. They say that the sun is about 390,000 miles away from the earth. Wow. And you think about the diameter of the Milky Way, which is uh, a, a, you know, just kind of a speck in the universe, that if you, if you take that, that, that 390,000 miles, that distance from here to the sun, and you condense it all the way down to just the thickness of a sheet of paper, that the diameter of that speck in the universe, the Milky Way, the diameter of that would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And the one that created all of that, the one that just thought it in his imagination and in the power of his word brought it into being, is walking with us in the cool of the day. God would, would see Adam and he would see Eve and he'd say, let's go for a walk. And they would, they would go for that walk. It was communion with God, Adam and Eve with God. And then uh, in chapter 3, there's, there's something startling that happens. Adam and Eve decide that when they hear the noise of God walking in the garden, they decide to hide themselves because they're afraid. And what's the reason for their fear? It's because they have sinned. They have listened to the serpent. They have eaten of the forbidden fruit. That, that sin, that, that breaking of God's will has created this estrangement. It's created this alienation with God. There is this inability to have int uh, intimacy with infinity. And we know what that's like, right? You know, whenever we sin against somebody, you know, when, when I do something that's, um, that, that's against Ellen's will, it doesn't draw her closer to me or, or, or me to her. You're walking down the street and you're coming up on the corner and you see some guy that you're wronged or some woman that has, that has said something that's made you angry. And there's, there's, a, there's a disruption and alienation and estrangement in that relationship. What is it that you do when you come up on that corner and you see him coming this way? You hide your face and you go the other direction. We understand that. That's what happens when sin enters into relationships, estrangement and alienation. And that's what Adam and Eve have done. So in Genesis chapter 3, we read about God walking in the garden, but no longer is it going to be a walking with Adam and, and Eve. I mean, how heartbreaking that something has happened that has just that so cataclysmic that it has devastated that relationship to the point that it can't be the same. And here's the thing about the sin. That, that sin was, was not just... Uh, uh, this event that created an inability to walk with God. I mean, ever since the Garden of Eden and the eating of that forbidden fruit, we've not been able to walk with anything else. Have we? We are estranged as human beings from everything. We are alienated as human beings from everything. I mean, think about it psychologically. 
I mean, even our minds have been affected by this. I mean, depression sets in. Anxiety is a reality that we all live with in the 21st century. And there's an estrangement, an alienation with our body. Sin has even affected that. There's disease and there's death. And it's not just estrangement in terms of relationship with God. It's estrangement in relationship with other people. Our relationships can sometimes become so messed up that only God can sort it out. We're even estranged from the world, from the earth. Tornadoes and droughts and earthquakes, famines. That estrangement because of that one event of eating of the forbidden fruit, that alienation that came because of that, is so profound that it, it, it's not linear. It's, it's, um, uh, it, it's, it, it just spreads out like a web and affects everything that it has touched significantly. So we leave Genesis chapter 3 for just a second, and we read 4, and then we get to chapter 5. And it's startling that all of a sudden in Genesis chapter 5, someone is walking with God again. Death does not touch this one who is walking with, with God, this one named Enoch. And what we're told is that he enters into heaven and is still walking with God because death has not touched him. Now, How in the world is that possible in the kind of world that was created in Genesis chapter 3 with the alienation and the estrangement from eating that forbidden fruit that was a sin against God's good creation and against God Himself? How is that possible? The answer in Genesis 5 and in Hebrews 11 is by faith. It's by faith. Enoch walking with God is a startling sign. It is a hopeful sign. That reconciliation with God is possible. This is extraordinarily important, church, because it helps us to see something that is extremely vital for us in our attempt to live that faithful kind of life. And it's this. Christianity is not about general belief. And Christianity is not about some kind of a general morality that we assign to our moral life and our decision-making processes. Christianity is not a general belief about God, but it's a walk with God. You know, there are a couple of words in the Bible that are extremely important. Walking is one of them. Eating is another. You know, I, it, which is, makes the Bible very dear to me because I love doing both of those, walking and eating. In the New Testament, you see Jesus eating with people that were considered to be sinners and those Pharisees, primarily the Pharisees, are just so bent out of shape by this. And they come down hard on Jesus because He's eating with these people that are either known or reputed to be sinners. And the reason is, is because of this little thing in the Jewish world known as Haverot, which means that when you sit down and eat, Ben and I are going to sit down over at the Taco Cabana, and we're going to have this gluten-free taco lunch. And, and what that means, because we're brothers in Christ and because we're, we're, we're sharing this food together, if this was the ancient world, it means that, that we, we see eye-to-eye on things politically and spiritually, that, that we are not adversaries, that there's peace between us. We have this relationship. And that's why the Pharisees got so upset with this eating in the first place with Jesus over in the New Testament. Why in the world are you eating with people that you should be avoiding and, and ostracizing? These people are sinners. What do you have in common with them, Jesus? Walking is sort of the same thing. When you walk with somebody, it signified a couple of really important things. It meant that you were in partnership with somebody. When the Bible talks about a relationship in which these two people are walking together, it is a relationship that is without strife. They are no longer adversaries. There's peace 
between them. That's why it's startling after knowing that we can no longer walk with God because of what happened in Genesis 3, that two chapters later we got Enoch that is for, for 300 years walking faithfully with God. And that's what makes Enoch a hero of faith. Is that he was reconciled to God in such a way that he was able to walk with Him. Now here's the question that we're going to look at for the rest of our time is how do you walk that walk? How do, you, how do you walk with God the way that Enoch did? The first thing is you have to recognize that there is a war with God. You have to recognize that there is a war with God. Now, how can that be? Well, we go back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are, are told not to eat of that tree, but they did. Think about all of the things that God has told them. One thing you cannot do, you cannot eat of that tree, but they decided to do it. Now, when, when they listened to the serpent, when Eve ate and then gave to Adam and he ate, there was something that was going on there that is more than just the breaking of rules. You know, I have a couple of kids, Jessica, Jordan. When they were growing up, before they left home, I would give them rules. And when I would give rules to Jessica and to Jordan and tell them this is what you need to, to, <laughs> you know, to make me happy and live for the rest of today, you know, that we got two things that are going on here. First, there is a relationship with the rules. They understand what I'm asking. And then there is a relationship with the rule giver, that is me, their father. Now, here's the thing. They can obey the rules because they make sense to them, or they can obey the rules because they love and they trust me. Now, on the outside, this can look the same. They're obeying the rules, and you don't really know why they're doing it. They're just, they're just doing it. And it looks the same on the outside, but on the inside, friends, something profoundly different is taking place inside of their hearts. They can obey the rules because they agree with them. And if that is the case, then what they're doing is they're, you know, they're, 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 they're obeying the rules because they make sense. At that point, then I am no longer a father to them. I'm just a counselor. And the reason they're obeying is because I've given them good counsel. Or they can obey the rules because they love me and they trust me, which is the right thing to do because I'm their father. Now with Adam and Eve, they heard all of these things that God has said to them and walking in the cool of the day and the breeze of the evening, but they did not like one rule and that one disobedience caused a cataclysm in the entire universe. They said, we do not accept God as king to be loved and trusted and obeyed. We accept God as an advisor whose counsel we do not accept or don't accept. And this is what has brought the war. Now, everybody knows that when you have two or more people who claim kingship over the same spot, there is a war. That's why sin is more than just a violation, church. Sin is more than just breaking a rule. Sin is more than just a singular act of disobedience to a law or regulation or rule that was given for the common good. What Genesis chapter 3 tells us is that sin is more than a violation. It is an act of sedition. Sin is treason against the lordship and the kingship of God. The result is war and alienation. 
And notice that we all, all of us as human beings, because there is this estrangement and alienation even with our psychological makeup, we all, we all use propaganda just as those that start unjust wars always do. Think about the 1930s. As, as Hitler is coming to power, first as uh, you know, he's elected to the, the leadership, then he becomes chancellor and dictator. What is happening? That he wants to, he, there are so many things that he wants to do. He wants to expand the borders of the motherland. And he wants to reunite all of those people that have Germanic backgrounds. But there's got to be a way for him to do it. So what does he do? This war is just because the Jewish people have been unjust. The problem is them. There, there's some kind of scapegoating. There's some self-talk that's going on inside of the mind that justifies the act that we want to do, regardless of how wrong it is. And our sinful nature every day performs a character assassination on God. That's why there's the, the, the sedition and the alienation and the treason and the estrangement. I know what it is that God wants me to do, and I know what it is that God does not want me to do, but God is out to get me. God wants to keep me down. God wants to smother me. I have all of this creativity. I have all of these desires. I mean, God even created these desires inside of me. So why is He trying to, to, to squelch those desires? God is not good. God is a killjoy. And quite frankly, friends, that's why everything, 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 thing is in shambles. And the answer is, number two, not just to recognize the war, we have to come to grips with the peace terms and accept them. Enoch walked with God faithfully 300 years. How? The answer is, is that Abraham and Noah and Abel and Enoch and Sarah and Moses, they all saw Genesis 3, verse 15. It's known in theological circles as the Proto-Evangelium, the first preaching of the Gospel. It is when God has chastised the, the human beings and chastised Satan and has cursed the earth that He says to them, He says, There is going to be one, though, that is born of a woman that is going to crush the head of the serpent even though He will strike at His heel. What Enoch saw was that the way through, back to the garden, the way back to walking with God, the way back into relationship with God was to be through someone who would be bruised for us, whose body would be sacked and pillaged for us, and whose blood was going to be spilt for us, crushed. You go to Isaiah chapter 53. And the prophet says, one is going to be massacred for us. And the battle between God and humanity has taken place at the site of Christ's body on the cross. Think about what happened at the cross with the physical body of Jesus. We have beat Him and spat upon Him and mocked Him and nailed Him to a tree and we continue to mock Him and taunt Him and say, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you come down and, and, and save yourself? We killed Him. We lynched Him. As human beings in estrangement to God, at war with God, this is what we did to His Son. And what did God do at the body of Christ? He poured out His wrath. 
for us on Jesus' body and on Jesus' life. Everything converged on Christ. That was the battlefield. The counter-kings are meeting at the cross in order for peace to be made. In order for peace to be made. And that's why Paul later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, you know what God is doing to people who are estranged from Him? He's reconciling the world to Himself in Christ. He's not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Lay down your arms. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. There is a this objective experience of peace. There is the real need for us to have it with God because of the estrangement, because of the alienation, and how all of that begins, continues to devastate us and destroy us and to debilitate us throughout our entire lives. We're just going downhill just the way water goes downhill. The path of least resistance is the path of sin. And it's got to stop. And if there's ever to be a stop, we have to recognize that it's not within us. It is with, it's, that battle was won. The stop was put in place. The surrender, the, the forgiveness, and the peace established at the cross. God doesn't... I mean, that, that's the legal part of this. That's the legal part of this. But there's also this subjective sense in which we enjoy that peace because we practice it every day. And that's the third thing. Not only do we have to accept those peace terms, but we have to enjoy the peace. And I really don't know how to explain it except to say that the more that you practice that peace and the more that you endeavor to walk with God, not as His adversary, but as His child, at His side, not, not looking at Him as your counselor, but looking at Him as your Lord and Master and King. Therefore, the things that He says we obey in the things and, and, and do not do the things that he, 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 he says you should not do and we do the things that He calls us to do because of the way that He has loved us and because we choose to obey Him and because the character, His character, His supreme character in all the universe. And we do that every day, faithfully walking at His side. The best example, one of the best examples of this for me is Stephen. Stephen is, uh, is chosen because he's a man that's wise. He's, he, he's, he's a disciple of Jesus. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's chosen to be a deacon. There's something inside of Stephen, Stephen that people see as being sensitive to widows and people that are vulnerable. And he, he's chosen as one of the original deacons in the church in Acts in Jerusalem. But he's also very outspoken about the greatness of Jesus and the cross and all of the ways that God is reconciling us to himself through Christ. And this gets the Sanhedrin upset. He's, he's taken and he gives this, this phenomenal servant, sermon in front of the Sanhedrin and, and it just riles them up. They're gnashing their teeth. They're tearing their clothes. They just, they're so angry with him. And to this day, there is a place not far from the temple 
in, in, in old Jerusalem called the Lion's Gate. It's also called Stephen's Gate because church tradition says that Stephen was dragged by the Sanhedrin outside of that gate and stoned to death. You know, the thing that's going on is that Stephen knows that he's going to die. He knows that it's going to be a brutal death. They're dragging him out. They're going to stone him. And as he's standing there, what is it that he sees? He sees Christ, his Savior. He sees that he has been reconciled to God. He knows that he is at peace with God, and that changes everything. Because as, they be, as he's standing there and he sees this, and he says that he sees it, he's standing there, they begin to throw the stones. The stones are hitting his body. He drops to his knees. And that peace that he has with God is so, so profound, profoundly deep inside of his bones that even as those stones are falling on him, it's changing the way that he has related that his estrangement and alienation to other human beings. And he says, Father, forgive them for, you know, don't lay the sin at their feet. Forgive them. You know, that's the kind of peace that we all need. That's the kind of peace. That's the kind of peace that comes when, like Enoch, we walk faithfully with God every day. And not, not choosing to follow His Word because we, we agree with the rules or agree with the commandments or, or, or whatever it might be. But it's because we accept Him as our Lord and Master and we have surrendered everything to Him. And you know what? You don't have to be angry anymore because you don't control everything. God does. And you don't have to be frustrated anymore because God, as Edward says, does not create junk. And you, 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 know, you, don't, you don't have to feel terrible about yourself because you're not in a certain kind of relationship because God looks at you and He says, I love you. Come walk with me. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And God is saying to some of you this morning, let's take a walk. Come walk with me. Come walk with me. And that can happen this morning by your sins being washed away. you meeting God at that battlefield that is Christ's body and being reconciled to Him, your sins being washed away, choosing God, confessing Him to be Lord and Master of your life, choosing, choosing to walk with Him every day of your life. And then when death comes, you don't have to worry because you'll be taken. You'll be taken by God Himself. If that describes you this morning, Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk to them about this as we stand and sing together. I love the Lord, for He died my soul to save.